Hello, and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon, and this week we're doing it a little differently. Kelly swamped at, at work to start a new job, and work takes priority, but so he's entrusted me to keep the pod going, and we got some fun things planned for this week. Today is just going to be me talking, just going to be my solo thoughts on the, what was going on in the NFL in week three. A lot of stuff happened, a lot of good games. We have a bunch of undefeated teams left, a few surprising victories, some breakout performances, teams dealing with the aftermath of injuries, and we're going to talk about it all and see where we go, and we're going to break down some of the games, hit on some winners and losers, and then preview some of the week four match because there are a couple really, really good ones. So this is, and Kelly and I make no reserve, have no reservations about this, we are Giants fans, New York Giants football fans, both grew up loving the team, and this past week, Eli Manning's time as the Giants quarterback had come to an end. He's been the starter since 2004. He had a 14-ish year run, won two Super Bowls, made four Pro Bowls, but he no longer gave the Giants, as a team, the best chance to win. And I don't know if you can really argue that he that that was a that it was the wrong decision to bench him. The team's not very good. They drafted Daniel Jones in the spring. Rookie quarterback, you knew, we all knew that this was coming, you know, and it was sad to actually see it finally happen because it's one thing to talk about, oh, Eli's not good enough, Eli, have to, we have to move on, Eli this, Eli that. But then to actually see him on the sideline with the baseball cap on, cheering on Daniel Jones while Daniel Jones is taking all the snaps, it was definitely different. And you can make all the jokes you want about how Daniel Jones looks like the long-lost Manning brother we never got just by his demeanor and his body language and the fact that he looks so much like Eli because they're basically almost the same size. And if you took the numbers away and just put body next to body and the helmet and the uniform, they kind of look the same. They look very, very similar. And I got to say, on the field, Jones... Jones was the same thing that Dave Gettleman thought he would be. You got to give Gettleman credit because going back in the spring, and, and I was guilty of this too, I wasn't a fan of, of the Daniel Jones pick. The Giants were so bad last season, and their roster was so weak. You trade Odell Beckham to Cleveland. You also trade Olivier Vernon to Cleveland. You don't franchise tag Landon Collins. You let him walk and end up with division rival Washington. You trade Eli Apple during the season last year and Snacks Harrison to the Saints and Lions, respectively. They just had no no talent, and it's really hard to win in the NFL without good football players. So they're picking six. You would, I, I was of, of the mindset of, hey, you just got to take the best player available. It doesn't really matter what position it is because there's just so many holes around the whole team that... You just got to get someone who can play and start building up a roster of guys, especially since Kyler was the number one player, number one quarterback prospect. I I should I should say not number one player. 
and the Cardinals were clearly going to take him at number one. We thought that maybe the Raiders would trade up, and maybe they wished that they did, but hey, there was no way he would last till six. So maybe we were thinking Dwayne Haskins, but he hasn't gotten on the field yet for Washington either. And so Dave Gettleman shocks the world and takes Daniel Jones. He's coached by David Cutcliffe at Ole Miss, the same coach of Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, and is known as a quarterback guru, really. So there was some hope there that he was trained by a quarterback whisperer, per se, but his, his numbers in college just weren't great. You know, they pe- people questioned his arm strength. He didn't win a lot at Duke. Makes sense. Not a lot of talent around him. Really tough conference. But do you... When you see these guys who are picked top 10, usually they win a bunch of games. and Or they're athletic freaks the way Mitch Trubisky is. Or come from, even if they come from lower-level programs like Carson Wentz, you, they're, they're, they're eye-catching. There's nothing eye-catching about Daniel Jones. He was a late bloomer, former double-double host, podcast guest, Nicole Arbach. Wrote a great feature about him on The Athletic. And just writes all whole thing about how he was just a super late bloomer. He was actually some Jay Billis was his AAU basketball coach. Said he was a Division One basketball player. Was probably better at basketball early in high school than he was at football. But the guy loved to play football, and so he gets picked by the Giants, and everyone hates it. Everyone hates it. I hated it. Can't, I don't. Know, Kelly was a big fan. It was just not a very popular pick, and we were just told to have faith in Gettleman, have faith in Shermer. But there was nothing to have faith in. It's, okay, well, you traded all of our best players. You know, why should we have faith in you? Sunday proved that we should have faith in Dave Gettleman, that we should have faith in Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones can't do anything about the defense. He, he just can't. He, he's a quarterback. He can't do anything to help the defense play better because the defense is terrible. It's just it's just bad. But what he can do is give hope to the team, give hope to the city, and that's what he's doing. He went 23 for 36, 336 yards passing, two touchdowns in the air, two more on the ground. And it's his mobility, too, that was something that I didn't really understand or see that much being talked about. In the pre-draft process, Gettleman and Shermer, to, to, to their credit, said that he was mobile, and his first rushing touchdown was was a zone read. And he got it, and he beat the guy to the edge. That was an elite athlete play. That's a play, obviously, Eli Manning couldn't make now, but I don't think Eli can make at 23 as a rookie either. Daniel Jones could, with that play, show that he can open up a new era and make trying to make the Giants a little more modern. Not I wouldn't say true dual threat because he's not. He's not a Lamar Jackson. But he could run the way Alex Smith runs or Aaron Rodgers runs. Run when it's there. Get six, seven, eight yards, slide. You know. Just very simple. Keep the ball moving. He's not running for touchdowns the way Michael Vick would. You know, and when I say touchdowns, I mean 40, 40, 50, 60 yard burners. He's running four first downs to slide. And then in the pocket, he looks really good. And this is a guy who looked really good throwing the ball. And he, didn't, and he doesn't have a superstar receiver, doesn't have Odell Beckham. 
Imagine if, if he had Odo Beckham. Imagine if Saquon Barkley didn't get hurt in the second quarter and he has that guy to throw the ball to. And we'll touch on Saquon Barkley in a second because that's, that's another huge loss when you talk about the NFL's rash of injuries. But this is we're still talking about Daniel Jones, and Jones proved it. He down 18 at the half, comes out, first play, hits Evan Engram. It, it will look as a 75-yard touchdown in the box court, but that was a really great play by Evan Engram to take it to the house. And that was his first passing touchdown, and he threw a great ball to Sterling Shepard for the second one. That was an NFL throw to Sterling Shepard. That's when I said, oh, this kid is actually for real, for real. He's not just good. He's not just hopeful. That was a legit NFL throw. I don't know if Jared Goff makes that throw. I don't know if Mitchell Trubisky makes that throw. Russell Wilson makes that throw. And Daniel Jones proved that he can make that throw. And then just the calm and composure to take the ball with three and a half minutes to go, no timeouts, and just drive the team down the field get him in the red zone, and then on a fourth and five, his mobility showed again. Guys rushed too high. He stepped back, went right up the middle, touchdown. Giants take the lead. In his first game, comes back from 18 points to win. And he's going to have to do that a lot because the defense is so bad this year. He's going to be down a lot of games. He's going to have to put up points. And the key is that he doesn't take too many risks because he is a little loose with the football. He, he lost two fumbles. It wasn't all perfect. It's not all perfect. He lost two fumbles, took five sacks. But, and we could be very talking about a hopeful performance, a moral victory. The Giants could very easily be 0-3 because the Bucks missed a chip shot field goal. Talk about what the Bucks were doing for a second. Why they're driving the ball down the field and the coach has the audacity to say, oh, our kicker is a little better from a little farther away than closer. What, in what context does that make sense? This isn't the NBA where there's an inherent advantage instead of taking a 21-foot two-pointer to take a 22-foot three-pointer because you get more points the farther back you are. You get three points on a field goal, whether it's from 19 yards or 64 yards. It's the same number of points get as close as you can the Bucks are taking these penalties and moving the ball back and then he misses that's all on whoever was calling the plays whether it was Bruce Arians whether it was Demas Winston maybe it was the kicker himself telling them to do that but that was just crazy but the big takeaway from this game and you've seen everyone this week on every sports network if you're on Twitter everyone on Twitter Everyone's just apologizing and saying, I was wrong. And we'll talk about this a little later later on in the podcast, but I was wrong too. Daniel Jones proved it to a lot of people. It's on him now to do it again next week. No Saquon Barkley. That's a big, big, big loss because the Buccaneers admitted going into the game that they were mainly focusing on Saquon, and now teams can only focus in on Jones. We'll see how he responds and reacts to that. But they have the Redskins next week. The Redskins are bad. The Redskins are terrible. Mitch Trubisky looked like he was a Hall of Famer in Monday Night Football against them. 
telling me Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes can't can't look good against them at home on Sunday with Giant Stadium is going to be rocking. Excuse me, MetLife Stadium will be rocking. The next two weeks will be tough. He's got the Vikings and then at the Patriots. But then he's got Cardinals, Lions. That's a lot of chances for him these next, you know, five games to really prove it before they play the Cowboys at home on Monday Night Football to prove, hey, is this just a one-week wonder and he played great one week, but, hey, he's not that good, or is it, hey, this guy's legit, he can play? You start seeing all these things, oh, is he better than Mayfield? Is he better than Murray? It's way, way too early to say that. He played four good quarters of real football. But he's just hopeful. He provided a spark, and he provided a lot of hope. Speaking of someone else who provided a lot of hope last season, Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, drafted in 2017, number 10 overall. The Chiefs traded up to get him. You have to wonder if that if other teams are regretting that they didn't do the same thing. Patrick Mahomes sits for a year behind Alex Smith, learns the offense, develops, learns Andy Reid's system, lets Kareem Hunt develop, Ter- Tyreek Hill. Those guys were real weapons around him when he took over the starting job in 2018. And what does he do? He goes out, those 50 touchdowns, and wins the MVP. Now, coming back this year, everyone was saying he's going to regress. Of course he's going to regress. He can't throw 50 touchdowns again. He can't win MVP again. It's the NFL. He's got a whole season of film. People will figure him out. People will figure out how to stop him. I hate to break it to the rest of the league. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL, and it's not close. He's the best football player. He's better than Aaron Donald. He's better than, you know, J.J. Watt. Better than Russell Wilson. He's better than Aaron Rodgers. He's better than Brady. He's better than Khalil Mack. Any football player, not just quarterback, but football player, he's better. He's unequivocally better. What he is doing and the control he has of the offense in any read system is just insane. What Patrick Mahomes is like when you're playing Madden. You're playing a video game, and it's the create-a-player mode. And you're giving yourself all the attributes. Oh, I want to be able to throw really, really far, be big and strong, throw the ball really far, throw it on the run, throw it accurate. Oh, and I'll have some mobility myself as well. That's Patrick Mahomes. And when he proved against the Baltimore Ravens, who have a very, very good defense, the Ravens are a solid football team. I'll talk about them in a second, but the Chiefs went out and just to just kill them. The final score was only five points because the Ravens do what they do best with Lamar Jackson and score a lot in garbage time against good teams. But Patrick Mahomes proved that he is for real the best player in the NFL. He's the best quarterback. He's unstoppable. Tyreek Hill is out, guys, remember? He's out with an injury. Best receiver. He's throwing touchdowns to McCole Hardman, to Marcus Robinson, old LaShawn McCoy. Yes, he has Travis Kelsey, but he's just that good. 
it doesn't matter who's around him. It's Brady-esque where it doesn't matter who's around him, how many snaps they play before. It's If they somehow get open, Mahomes will get them the ball. And then on the flip side, Lamar Jackson had all the hype coming into this this year. All the hype. Excuse me, not this year, this week. MVP. He's figured it out. He's the best player. No. What Lamar Jackson is, is a vision of who we want him to is someone who is a tantalizing prospect, tantalizing player, tantalizing athlete who just isn't that good yet. He played great against the Dolphins in week one. He was awesome. But the Dolphins are terrible. Terrible. Played well against the Cardinals. Cardinals aren't very good either. What's the knock on Lamar Jackson? Accuracy. Can he complete passes when they matter? He can throw the deep ball pretty well. He can obviously run. But can he hit those six-yard slants consistently on third and five to move the chains? And what he proved on Sunday is he's still not that accurate. 22 for 43, 267 yards. Zero touchdowns through the air. He had no interceptions, and that was lucky because he made a couple decisions with the football that were just absolutely, absolutely horrendous. That worked out. They were completions. One was to Willie Sneed, where he threw the ball across the field from the right sideline to the left sideline. Just a duck. And he got lucky. He could have had two, three interceptions this game. And if you give the ball to Mahomes that many more times, you're going to lose not just by five. You're going to lose by 25. But I'll talk about the Chiefs for a second, too. The Chiefs in the second quarter, again, look a lot like the NBA Golden State Warriors were in the third. Figure out where your weakness is early in the game. And before you can make any halftime adjustments, they attack you. Last week, in week two, I think Mahomes threw four touchdowns in the second quarter. This week, the Chiefs scored 23 points. You got to figure it out. You got to adjust. Whatever you do in the first quarter against Mahomes, you got to adjust because he's going to figure it out. And Patrick Mahomes is so good. He is so good that you have to wonder that at the NFL was a free market, no salary cap, what would he get in free agency? We used to talk about this with LeBron. What would LeBron get if there was no salary cap in the NBA? 50 million a year, 60, 75? He was worth it, for sure. He was 100% worth it. Best player, immediate contender, Got people in the seats. Mahomes does the same thing. Mahomes is good. Mahomes is great. And would he get fifty million a year? Maybe. I would go up to say he might even get sixty-five, seventy million a year. This is the most position, most important position in sports. Remember. And assuming he's healthy, you are playing. You are guaranteed to be playing in January. 
almost a guarantee playing in late January. You know, I'm looking forward to Pats, Chiefs, AFC Championship game again. And if I'm the Patriots and I see the Chiefs and I see Mahomes, I look at my defense and I say, you guys are the best group we've ever had with Bill Belichick. The best, the best defense in, of when I've been watching football who's played for Bill Belichick is this year's New England Patriots. And there's someone out in Jacksonville, Jalen Ramsey, doesn't want to be there. And I'm looking at Patrick Mahomes, and I'm saying, I'm going to have to beat that guy to get my 42-year-old quarterback his seventh Super Bowl. And I'm saying, you guys are already really good. I don't know how much longer that 42-year-old can keep being awesome. Let's go get Jalen Ramsey. Give up the first. Give up the first and the fourth. First and the third. Bring Jalen Ramsey. He's a top five corner in the NFL. Make it just that much harder, that much more difficult for Patrick Mahomes to beat you. Because you know eventually Mahomes is going to Mahomes is going to be beating you because you don't know how long Brady is going to be able to, co- to compete with him. And if I'm the Chiefs, go all in. All in. You should go get Ramsey. You should go get anyone who wants to be traded. Especially, especially on the defense side of the ball. Because that's their weakness. And if they improve their defense, we could be talking about the Chiefs as the new, maybe the new dynasty in the NFL. And the last thing I want to talk about before we go winners and losers is just the Browns. The Browns aren't very good. And they got a lot, a lot of hype. So much hype that it was almost like, all right, guys, settle down. Yeah, Baker's fun. Odell's exciting. Thrilling, really. Freddie Kitchens gives a couple good quotes every now and then. Miles Garrett looked cool in the offseason doing his squats or his box jumps where he's, like, holding down to, like, 75-pound dumbbells. Like, that was cool. Don't know how that helps you all on the field. Because what they proved is that these first three weeks is you're not that good. You're not that good. And if Sam Darnold didn't have mono and played in week two, the Browns could be 0-3. The Browns could just be the Browns, people. Not ready yet. Not good enough. Mayfield, yeah, he played well last year. No pressure last year. No expectation. Yes, he was the number one pick, but all people were hoping for him to be was a lot like what Daniel Jones was hoping to be. Don't suck. Don't be terrible. Don't be another terrible Browns quarterback. Just give us hope. Give us something to root for. Now people were talking about before the season that they were Super Bowl contenders. That's just crazy talk. I wasn't on that boat. I said, we got to see it. We got, they got talent, but talent isn't proven. Freddie Kitchens doesn't seem like a great head coach. Mayfield even last year called him an, an idiot. That's not what you really want out of your quarterback head coach relationship. And the Browns, you know, talented and all. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. They got at Baltimore this week. I think Baltimore beats them. I don't think I don't think they'll be able to stop Lamar because they're not as good as the Chiefs. They're just not. And neither are the Browns. 
Cleveland could be going into week five, one and three. One and three. A normal Brown season, really. But because this year, everyone's like a whole playoff team for sure. And if you think about it, the way that the division shaped out to be, Cincinnati, terrible. Pittsburgh, Roethlisberger goes down, out for the season. Baltimore, not really fully sold on Lamar Jackson. This team may even still, at 8-8, eight and eight, sneak into the playoffs winning, winning the division. But that's his average. That's average. And maybe that's all that they need to be this year. Because last year, they were a little below average. Maybe this year, they'll be average. And next year, they'll be good. But they have a lot of money tied up into skill position guys. They need to bolster up that offensive line. They need to still work on that defense. And they need to stop committing so many penalties. If the Browns were a high school football team committing all, all these penalties, you would have to wonder, like, what was going on? What were these coaches telling these kids? Would it be like Will Ferrell and kicking and screaming, telling them to break people's clavicles? You know? Like, the Browns are leading the league in penalties. When was the, I, I can tell you when the last time the, t- the, the team who led the league in penalties won the Super Bowl. Never. Just free yardage. It's like the pitcher in baseball who walks everyone. Free bases. Yeah, he might have the best stuff, but he can't but if he can't throw a strike, do you do you really want him? We're gonna take a quick break now. And when we come back, we're gonna be doing winners and losers from week three. And then we're gonna preview week four of the NFL. So, first winner, obviously Daniel Jones was was a winner, but of someone we haven't talked about yet, first winner, Carolina Panthers quarterback, Kyle Allen. Going into this game, you really, really the season, it was all about, is Cam Newton good enough? Not just, is he good enough? Is he healthy? What is he? What should we do about Cam? Well, Cam got hurt. Cam hurt his foot, missed week three. So here comes back quarterback Kyle Allen. You know what Kyle Allen does? Throws four touchdowns and wins on the road. Giving Carolina fans a lot of hope, a lot of hope. Still a talented roster. You still have Chris McCaffrey, Luke Keekley on defense. Yes, you could say it was Arizona, and I just said Lamar Jackson played really well against Arizona, and it, A, you got to take it with a grain of salt. So big grain of salt, but if the Panthers were 0-3 with no no Cam, I think Ron Rivera's going to get fired at, at, at the end of the year. Now, 1-2, division up for grabs, really. If you think about it, Tampa, bad. Atlanta, inconsistent. New Orleans, no Drew Brees. That was a big, big win. You stay in the playoff hunt, maybe saving their coach's job one more week and proving that you're not all the way out of it yet. So that was a really, really big deal that Kyle Allen came out and looked really good, looked really confident, played really, really well. 
the next one, next quarterback. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't talk as much about quarterbacks, but quarterbacks are really important. Coming in again, the, 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 these backups had a great, great week in in the NFL, and I haven't even t- talked about all of them. But Garner Minshew, Jacksonville Jaguars, would turn, and he's turned into an internet legend as well. Between the stories about him in college, of carrying around Crown Royale in his waist in his waistband, going out partying, buying a mattress off of Facebook for ten bucks, not even Craigslist. Okay, this guy didn't even buy something off Craigslist or eBay. He bought it off of Facebook. You know, that is nuts. And he goes out, right? He goes out. In week one, Nick Foles goes down. He goes out. He goes like 12 of his first 12 or 14 of his first 14. Something crazy. Something great. And then we're all thinking to ourselves, wait a second. Is Gardner Minshew the best quarterback in in his draft class? He was the first one to play. And he might just end up being the best quarterback. You know, you never know. But he got his first win on Sunday, so that's why he's a winner this week. Played great, 20 for 30, 200 yards. Two touchdowns. Obviously, he is a rookie. Not, nothing's perfect. We're not saying he's Brady. Not saying he's Rodgers. But you, but you got to love him. You got to love the interviews. You got to love the fact that he's winning. He's in Jacksonville. Seems like a perfect place for him. It'll be great when they play their eventual London game and you know the rest of the world gets to see Gardner Minshew the second. Not Junior, the second. And... Just with the stories about his grandfather wanted to name Beowulf, like the great story about that hero. Imagine if, if in the NFL in 2019, a starting quarterback winning football games was named Beowulf Minshew. That just sounds like a bad rejected screenplay. Gardner Minshew still sounds like a bad rejected screenplay. You know, the fact that he cuts his own jorts, wears bandanas, wears a jock strap. You know, does a stretching routine at Washington State naked in, in the locker room. I mean, all, just just the stories. If 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 you have twenty free minutes, do do a deep dive on Garner Minshew's time in college, and you won't know what's real and what's not real. You just know that the guy's a legend. And the third and final winner from week three, the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills are three and zero, folks. Three and zero. Who would have ever thought? Not, not this podcast host. That the Bills would be three and zero. Not in the preseason, when these football games matter. And you could say that their schedule stunk. They got to play the Jets, the Giants when Eli was playing, and the Bengals at home. But my response to that is you got to play the games on on your schedule. You just, they didn't say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll take the Jets and, and the Bengals and, and the Giants. You know, hey, let's, you know, we, we'd rather not play Kansas, Kansas City this year. I'm sure they're saying that, but they don't create their schedule the way college teams do. The way, you know, if Oregon football's like, eh, I don't think we're that good this year, let's not go down and play Auburn. Oregon was like, yeah, we are that good. Let's go play Auburn. You know? If Oregon wasn't didn't feel like they, they were that good this year, they would not have played Auburn. I can guarantee you that. But in the NFL, a guy on Park Avenue in New York City makes makes a schedule. 
not not just one guy, a, a group of people, but they make the schedule, and you got to play those games, and they're three and zero. Josh Allen looks good. He looks like he's a average quarterback. I generally think he's more below average, but he so far he's proven that he's average. And in your division, three and zero, the Jets are terrible. Miami's terrible. Darnold's still out with mono. You don't know really really know how long that's going to be or what he's going to be like when he comes back. The Dolphins are terrible. You're, that's like five wins right there. Maybe you split against the Pats. That's six. So you're six and seven with nine more games. You can't win three or four of those, be 10 and six and make it, make it to the playoffs. Positive momentum. Defense, really, really, really good. Really good defense. Maybe all the hype that people were giving to Cleveland, we should have been giving to Buffalo. Maybe because everyone read all the articles about Baker Mayfield. Maybe because Baker Mayfield did the GQ cover spread and Odo Beckham called out Dave Gettleman. Maybe that's why. We just talked about them more. Maybe it was the best thing for the Bills that they didn't get Antonio Brown in the offseason. Add that distraction. Maybe it was for the best that they just went about their business, built a really good football team, drafted Ed Oliver. You know, not a rookie who's given out these crazy interviews. Just a guy. Even at Houston, he never really gave out those that, that many crazy, crazy quotes or whatever. They just have guys who go about their business and, and get things done. Unlike the next few teams and players who we're going to think of, who we're going to talk about, because they are the losers of Week Three. Loser number one. Just the entire AFC North. The fact that I was earlier talking about how Cleveland might be able to make the playoffs at 8-8 eight and eight is just not great. Because, yes, so they Cleveland's not very good. That's a strike on the NFC North. Cincinnati, bad. Not as bad as Miami, but really bad. Pittsburgh, Rosberger out for the season. No Le'Veon, no Antonio Brown, no excitement, no juice. You just hopefully Mike Tomlin can fire these guys up. Go, you go four and twelve, five and eleven. But this is a, a lost season for them. We'll see if Mason Rudolph can play. Because if he can't play, they'll be at the top of the draft. Maybe they take their their next quarterback, Tua, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, so, someone like that, to get ready for the post Roethlisberger era. Because this is a lost season for Pittsburgh. And then we talked about Baltimore too. Which is that they're good, but can they compete against good good teams? This this was a division going in. We thought Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore would all challenge for for the division crown. Baltimore has a chance to to run away with it. Jameis Winston, Tampa Bay Bucks quarterback, is our second loser of the week. Mainly just from bad circumstance, where you gotta you gotta feel bad for him. This is a guy who's played for a bunch of coaches. Played for Lovey Smith and then Dirk Cutter. Now he plays for Bruce Arians. A lot of it he brought onto himself with the Florida State stuff about the off the field issues of the sexual assault and the getting up on the table and saying offensive stuff and stealing the crab legs. I don't feel bad for Jameis, the person, for the stuff he did in college because he screwed up a lot. But who doesn't screw up in, in college? I'm in college and we screw up all the time. But then you get to the NFL and just football stuff. It was, hey, he does, he 
you know, doesn't really take care of the ball that that well. Doesn't seem like he has great personality. Doesn't seem like a great leader. Has a great talent in Mike Evans. Loves throwing it, but he loves throwing interceptions. Then, then you say, oh, he's got Bruce Arians this year. Bruce Arians turned around Carson Palmer's career, revived that out in Arizona. Maybe he'll do the same for Winston down in Tampa Bay and really get Winston that big second contract. Prove he's a starter in, in the NFL. And this week against the Giants, it, it looked like the Giants were ter- terrible on, on defense. But it proved that he might be able to play. And then what does he do? He gets a moral victory. Plays great. People love talk about the Daniel Jones drive to win the game. Talk about the Jameis Winston drive. drive drove, drove the team down the field. One timeout. One minute to go. Got him into field goal range. Guy misses a, a chip shot. Winston can't kick. He, he can't do the kick too. You could say, hey, score a touchdown next time. But when do we see in the NFL teams who down one pushing, going all in for for the touchdown? It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Don't blame him for not going for the touchdown. Blame the culture in the NFL of the coaching staffs who are conservative, who are risk-averse. Blame them. Don't blame Winston for that. You can blame Winston for a lot of other stuff. Really, most of the stuff he does. But he's on the lose this week because maybe I just feel bad that he couldn't get this win. And the last loser of the week goes to me. Yes, I am a loser this week. And every other draft pundit or expert out there who said Daniel Jones can't play, who said who's Garner Minshew, why would I want to take him? Because we all, because what got proven this past weekend was that we don't know anything. We don't know anything until the games start. And in April, they might not have been the best prospect. But we love to praise the guys who develop and get better. But why don't we project that? Why can't we say, hey, he may not be the best player right now, but who knows what he could be once he gets in the NFL, once he gets coached? Can't someone get better? People get better all the time in all aspects of life. Name someone who on their first day out of college in their first job is great. You know, Warren Buffett even said it. He wasn't a great stock picker the first time. He sold too early. But you build on the experience. He got better. You think that the first time someone graduates college and goes try to fly an airplane, they're doing cross-country flights? No. They're learning the ropes. They're getting better. They're, they're developing. You're a co-pilot. You learn how to do it. You get the reps. No one said Gardner Minshew, first practice of, of training camp, or Daniel Jones was going to win the Super Bowl this year. No one said that. But we shouldn't be saying that these guys are bust before they even play a snap. We can all think that they will be or that they have a higher potential to be. But you can't say, but you can't be laughing at draft picks anymore because what what it's proven is that it's motivation for these guys. It's motivation that these guys are going to hear it. It's going to be 
on their phones, going to be in their minds, and they're going to go out and work and prove to every single person that they were wrong and that maybe we should shut up a little bit and just let the games happen and then, and then evaluate. And maybe we should, instead of evaluating the players all the time, evaluate ourselves. Evaluate why did I not think he was that good? What did I miss in the tape? What wasn't I seeing in college that's made Garner Minshew really good and Daniel Jones really good so far? What wasn't I seeing? Was it something that just that he's improved on and he wasn't doing in college that he's doing now? Was it something that I ignored, something I overlooked, something I undervalued? Was it a lack of talent around him? Was it that he was sick one game or broke with his girlfriend or a million of, of, of other actors? It was snowing, you know. Maybe we should evaluate ourselves as draft, draft experts and pundits and figure out how can we be better at projecting these guys and letting before we critique these guys so much about their bus and not because maybe we're just bus as draft experts. Week four has a bunch of really, really good games. Games I'm really excited about. I'm just going to talk very briefly about three of them. Thursday night football, Packers, Eagles. Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur are proven to have a good relationship right now. You never really know with those two clowns, especially Rodgers. Very, very moody, very passive-aggressive. Thinks and knows that he's really good. And when you think and know that you're really good, it affects your behavior with other people. And what he has to do is he just has to keep working because he only has one Super Bowl, guys. He hasn't made the playoffs a lot the last few years. He's awesome, but didn't have a great relationship with, with Mike McCarthy. And he has a chance on, on Thursday to go out and prove it that they can now go out. They played really well against the Bears, right? Kill, killed the Bears. It was a low-scoring game, but, but killed them because the defense played well. That's something that, that, that's been lacking. And you never really thought the Bears had a chance because of also Trubisky. Now, now they have Carson Wentz. Going up against Carson Wentz, a real quarterback, was going to win MVP before he got hurt two seasons ago. Before Foles won the Super Bowl, and we're all talking about Nick Foles, Carson Wentz was the MVP of the NFL. Let's see if this Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur thing works when you're playing against a really good quarterback and a really good team. It gets a really, really good defense. Not saying the Bears aren't a great defense, because Rodgers didn't look great, but that was week one. Say, hey, we're, we're working out the kinks. Now it's week four. You've been in it for a while. You've gotten a lot of game reps. Let's see how it looks now. And for the Eagles, find a way to win. Find a way not to start slow. Find a way to score the football in the first quarter. Find a way to stop guys. Find a way to get your mojo back. Be that underdog, swaggy team, gritty football team that was coming up and challenging early on for the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Because you're playing like a team that is satisfied with where they've been who thinks that, oh, just because we won a Super Bowl two years ago means that, hey, we're good. We're going to get back there. No, target on your back. Every team is challenging you because they say, hey, you guys are really good. We're going to play like it's our Super Bowl against you guys. And you got to fight the inclination to to be laid back and let the game come to you. You got to be ready to go right from the jump. So that's what I'm looking for out of Packers-Eagles. Pats, Bills, Bows of the Undefeated. This is the official are the Bills for real game. Are they truly, they were a winner this week. They could very easily be on the losers list next week as not for real. 
No, I'm not saying that, that, that you have to beat the Pats to, to, to get there. You just got to compete. You got to prove that you belong on, on the same field as them. You got to play good defense, make Brady beat you, maybe score some points against his vaunted defense. Who knows? But all I'm looking for is compete. Don't get blown out. Don't be the typical Pats-Bills game where it's, oh, we're just waiting for the Patriots to win and it was never really in doubt. Put some doubt in my mind. Make, make me really believe that you're going to win. And for the Pats, just be, just be yourself. I mean, you guys are so good. Just, you know, no matter what happens, I'm still going to really probably pick, pick you to go to the Super Bowl. But this is more about the Bills. And then lastly, Cowboys-Saints on Sunday Night Football. I'm still looking forward to this game, even though Drew Brees isn't playing. Teddy Bridgewater played really well at Seattle, which is a very, very tough place to play. Might be the toughest place to play in the NFL. The Cowboys are really good. You got Zeke and Dak, Amari Cooper, good defense, great offensive line. I'm looking forward. Sean Payton has a huge coaching advantage against Jason Garrett, but let's see if that matters. Let's see what the Cowboys are on primetime this year. As Stephen A. Smith used to say, the Cowboys are a disaster waiting to happen. Let's see if they are this year. Let's see if Dak really deserves that money because if he is going to be the quarterback of a team that's still a disaster waiting to happen, can never live up to their potential, always disappointing, then he doesn't deserve $40 million a year. Zeke, then Zeke doesn't really deserve his contract too because as good as you may be, yes, you may deserve that money with how good you are in your, in your skill level, but the NFL, you got to win football games. It's a, it's, it's a job. You got to perform. And the way that we evaluate these guys is stats are great, but wins are, but wins are more important. And I'm looking to see because if Jason Garrett loses this game and looks embarrassed against Sean Payton, Maybe the Cowboys start wondering if we had a we had a more modern, more creative coach. Maybe we can start competing against these guys. Maybe that will bring out the best whatever's left in Dak and Zeke and just take us over over the hump, over the top. So that's what I'm looking for. Coming up later this week, this was fun. I may do this again either on uh, Wednesday or Thursday. Record this on on Tuesday afternoon. Ho- hopefully, this will be up Tuesday. Tuesday evening. We're going to have Coach Sass on on Friday. This was all NFL. Coach Sass is going to do all college football on Friday. So that will be fun, get, get, get into the, the whole college scene. We've already talked about it in a couple of weeks. But, uh, yeah, but thanks, but thanks, everyone, for listening. Take care, and as Kelly loves to say, make it a great day. <laughs>